Hello and welcome to the Digital Orthodontist Live. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and I am very excited to be here at the 2022 Mother of Pearls Conference, or the MOPC, at the lovely Talking Stick Resort and Casino, isn't it lovely, uh, here in Scottsdale, Arizona, which, isn't Arizona the greatest place on earth? Boom. Indeed. Yeah, boom, right. Um, so today what we're going to be discussing is the perfect orthodontic team. And uh, we have a live audience of around 175 orthodontic team members. And since you may not be able to see them, I hope that maybe you can hear them. I don't know. That sounds like more than 175 to me. Um, uh, to be honest, I could not have a better panel of experts today. You guys are really in luck, those of you in the room and then those of you at home. Um, all the way from Mesa, Arizona, a master clinician and a heck of a guy, and a high school football star, I must add, um, the artist orthodontist himself, Dr. Stuart Frost. Oh, thank you for having me. So fun. From Baltimore, Maryland, uh, one of the most successful and inspiring people that I know, um, the boss babe of all boss babes, Dr. Amanda Gallagher. Yeah. Thank you, Kyle. And from Plano, Texas, there on the end, uh, she's the founder of Straight Consulting and the brains behind her marketing mastery course and TC mastery course, Tracy Martin. Yeah. Okay, so how are we doing today? Thanks for being here first, but is everybody good? Good. Does everyone's mic work? Oh, check, check. I think so. Yep. Check, oh, not here. check. We are all working. This is great. <laughs> I was expecting like um, the, the law of mic, so I've got the, the handheld, so I feel like a lead singer or something. Um, so what's our plan for today? We want you guys to get the most out of this hour as possible. Um, I thought what would be helpful, since we have a mixture of different uh, team member types, is to look at these five basic categories that the average orthodontic practice has. And what those are would be admin, clinical, TCs, uh, managers, and then marketing. Okay, so those are like the five basic categories. Yes, there's a lot of nuance that goes along with that, and yes, there are other types of categories, but those are our categories, and we're sticking with them. So we're going to spend about 10 minutes on each, and we're going to look at, let's say, you know, what sort of skill sets should an admin team member have, uh, what sort of personality types work best for those positions, and then just some general recommendations and pro tips for each. And so I think for the team members in here, this will be a great way to sort of evaluate yourself and to hear from some experts what we think work in those positions. Of course, you'll have and are entitled to your own opinions on those things. To any of the doctors who sneaked in here, that's cool that you came, it's great. Um, but you'll also get a lot out of this as well. Um, but before we do, I wanna take a couple minutes just discussing sort of the big picture of all this. So here's this question, because everyone's gonna have a different answer. And I do want each of you to answer this. Uh, in a few words, how would you describe the perfect orthodontic team? We'll start with you, Amanda. Well, just hearing your uh, lecture here next door, um, I, I definitely would agree that the perfect orthodontic team would be filled with passion for what you have to do. I'm looking for hard workers. I'm looking for good energy. Um, people who lift each other up um, and are supportive and are great teammates for one another. So um, for me, though all those traits would encompass what I would think would be perfect team members on my team. Hey, first of all, thank you for being here. This is so fun. Uh, I think the perfect orthodontic team, number one, would have obviously passion, but also loyalty. The loyalty to buy into what your practice is doing. Uh, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about core values and culture. Uh, the perfect team for me would be buying into the core values and the culture that I've set in my practice and being loyal to that. I think that goes a long ways. Okay, well, it's hard to top those. Um, those were pretty good answers, pretty I'm not gonna good. lie. Yeah, but if I had to be third and think of something else to add on to that, um, I think it also has to be uh, like over communicators, like as many problem solvers and communicators on the team as possible um, is probably the other things I would add to it. But. Mm, problem solvers, people who are self-initiated, who are uh, autonomous. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I will steal this from Megan Wyrick. We were talking about it um, earlier. She, you know, one thing that you need to find are, are the Google people, the people who are like, oh, there's a problem. Let me figure out what, what the answer is. Let me Google it real fast. Whatever needs to happen to find the answer, but the people that will just go get the answers. Yeah, I love that. In defense of the people out in the audience that are thinking this, uh, sometimes you don't feel empowered by your doctor to have that autonomy. So I, I get that. Okay. So I think that's important. The leadership 
portion of this is as important as the team member. Um, you should feel like as a team member on a great team that that loyalty goes both ways and that trust goes both ways. Um, let's jump in um, because you basically answered our second question. I mean, you did such a good job, Stu. I was leading. You must I do this for a little. Yeah, I know. I know. It was great. Um, well, I'll at least share what it was going to be. Um, Chris Benson. Is Chris in here? He's probably not. Okay. love Chris Benson. Uh, he's here. Yes, I've seen him. Which Way to rub it in that he's here, but he's not here. I get it. Um, <laughs> So I know, if you don't know Chris Benson, he's, he's the best. He's my ortho dad. I, I think he looks like he could be my father. So anyway, um, I once asked him what the single, uh, what single thing that all successful practices have in common, and his answer was effectively what Stu said, which is culture, um, to have a strong team culture, um, to have a well-defined culture, um, and be committed to the same thing. So, um, but you did a great job answering that. Um, so... I, I guess a conversation around how you maintain that culture would take a long, long, long time. Um, but I think some of that we'll get into. So let's get into the five parts of the orthodontic team. And when you hear like that we're on your category, your position, I want you to cheer. So then we know how many people are in here from that group. So again, we're going to look at what's in the average orthodontic practice, admin, clinical, TC, managers, marketing. Um, and since they're almost always the first person that people meet, why don't we start with admin? It's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Loud and proud. Um, so admin is an admittedly broad category. It includes scheduling coordinators, financial coordinators, insurance coordinators, and so on. Uh, the Wyrick sisters, Brittany and Megan, they're here this uh, weekend. They're going to be with the admin team members in our breakout sessions, and they're experts at these topics. And so you're really going to enjoy that, I think. But for our panel, um, what sort of qualities do you look for when hiring for an admin position? We'll just do this one for Amanda and Stu, because you're not hiring for admin, are you? You could be. For my business. No. Add on if you You're want. Right. Yeah. I So personally, I feel like the admin role is one of the most important roles in the entire practice. And so for me, number one, when I'm looking to hire, I'm looking for personality. Always personality. And there's nothing worse than walking into a medical office and somebody can't even look up to say hello. I feel like orthodontists in general, we have practices that we're really, really friendly and greet people, but that is who I'm looking for at my front desk. And I want that personality to also be able to shine through on phone calls too, so that they can kind of translate my energy to what the patient experience is going to be. So for me, it's about personality. It, that is honestly one of my most important positions that we hire for. I agree. So good. Uh, first of all, let me say this. I think this, the admin is probably some of the hardest positions in our practices. And unfortunately, sometimes the admin is, you know, besides the front desk, the other admin personnel are away from the action a lot. And so it's sometimes you don't get to be involved in the clinic and, and all the hoorah and everything else. So I think, for one, I, I appreciate my admin because they're so good. And when I, I go by them and say hello, they're like, oh, hey, haven't seen you in about eight hours. <laughs> but I just want to say I love, I love my admin because I, I want them all to be givers. Okay, everybody likes to be around a giver. When you're around a giver, it invites people. And so we try to hire people that are givers, that get outside of themselves and make the patients first. And I think that's the number one quality I, I like in my admin, even if they're answering phones, same thing. That's great. Tracy, it was rude of me to not give you a window on this question, so please go. And then what I'll I'm gonna do is I'm gonna later. start with you and go back and forth so it's fair. So go ahead, admin, what, what should what doctors be looking well, for? Well, I would just say that the reason why you haven't seen your admin in eight hours is because they're so damn good. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's why. Um, but, but yeah, I think to your point, um, personality is huge. I think, I think finding some with some sales bones in their body because the buying process for our patients start at the phones or start at, you know, what comes in, um, from online or whatever. So I think finding that is part of it as well, but for sure. Totally agree. All right. I'm going to start with, with Tracy on this next question. Um, so one thing that's really important when it comes to admin, and I feel like I'm seeing an uptick in it is, uh, this is more for scheduling coordinator, um, but is no-show rate, um, on some level, I feel like that um, seems to be going up. I don't know if people are flakier than before. That's probably true. Um, we send so many, like, texts and emails, and they still manage to mess that up. It's amazing that people even can get out of bed in the morning and put pants on the right way. Um, myself included, some days. Um, 
but I have my wife to help me with that. So, um, what are some of your, uh, your best tips for admin and how they can reduce no-show rate? Make sure people show up. Well, I think the first thing is is to really look at what you guys are doing because I think that a lot of times what we are doing is too much and it's just becoming noise. So if we're doing, you know, five emails and three text messages and stuff like it's, we're doing like six emails, is that too many then? Just a little, just just maybe five too many. Um, it's yeah, it's I think it, I think that at that point we become a lot of noise. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, okay. Well, no shows when it comes to Active patients and new patients are a little bit different, right? With new patients, we know that we've got to get them in very, very quickly, um, and that will reduce your no-show rates for the new patients. For the active patients, um, I think that, A, you need to reduce the number of times you need them to come into the practice, and that makes the appointments that they do come in for really important ones that they're not going to miss. So I think that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is finding out from each of those patients how they want to be communicated with. Um, and I think we know that the majority of them want text message um, over email because our email is just ridiculous now. Um, and see if there's any other additional ways um, that you can get in and get a more personal message because especially if it's coming off as an automated mes message, then again, we just turn off, so. That's fair. I wish I had a lot to add to that. That's so great. Um, I think that the one of the things that I love our admin to portray to the patients is that we're, we're busy just like you're busy and we wanna accommodate you. So we, as, as you expect good appointments and, and have a good choice, we also expect you to show up. And we don't have as much of an issue with people showing up for their regular appointments. It's more of when they schedule an exam, you know, what's the, the, the rate? And we, we track that, that for our patients, with new, especially the new patients. When they make the phone call, they get on the schedule, uh, we track how many don't show up after that so we can look at it. But uh, I love what you said. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Tracy and Stu. I mean, personally, we, I don't, haven't seen a whole lot of lower rate of show on my regular patients, um, but it is the new patients that are the problem these days. Um, and I do make it a point to make sure that we have new patient availability that day or the next day, I mean, they, we gotta get them in fast. And even with that, like they call and we're like, okay, can you be here in an hour? They're like, yeah, and then they still don't come. So um, we do have something that we kind of started during COVID time, um, doing virtual new patient exams. And so if somebody no shows us, I mean, I don't play that game. And then they learn pretty fast that you don't play that game in our office. So we're like, okay, sorry, you didn't show for your new patient exam. You have to submit a virtual online smile assessment. And so they're able to go to the website, do that. And then once they go through that, we can present finances, like a range online. And if they're serious about it, then they'll actually come. So that's something that we've been doing and we have luck with, but we don't, it's like, yeah, we try to make that like sign, like don't mess with us. Like we're really busy too. So yeah, then that's what you have yeah, to you do. Yeah, put, you put the onus on them. I like that a lot. I don't know what we do. That's the funny thing about this is Anna should be up here just to like be my, like a, you know, like a politician who has a handler, like what's their name? Um, <laughs> whisper in my ear. Um, I think at one point we were charging, um, if they missed their first one, then there's like a $75 fee to reschedule for a second. And of course we waive that if they have a legitimate, you know, concern. If they're not willing to pay $75 that goes towards their treatment, I definitely don't want to occupy any more time on my template with them. Um, is that what we still do? Okay. Maybe you like that idea. I mean, Amanda's is probably better, but it's okay. Um, it's not a competition, is it? Okay. We're all working. We're on the same team here. Um, let's, let's talk about this, because who are my financial coordinators? Who are, who are the money people in the room? You've got to be careful around them, okay? <laughs> those, are, those are the, you could win most fights, right? You know, if you're the financial coordinator, like in the office, the smart money's on the financial coordinator. Um, so when it comes to financing treatment, collecting on payments, and managing insurance, all that stuff, um, do you have any systems or pro tips that can help? I know that's a pretty like wide-ranging question. I'm going to start with Tracy because she's like, she's like champing at the bit. Go ahead. I, I have the answer. No. Um, well, <laughs> I outsource a lot of that. Obviously, I, I love working with OrthoFi. They don't pay me to say that, but I do put them in a lot of the practices that we work with. Um, and then the second piece is, is I feel like one, one thing everybody keeps, not everyone, but where, where I think we could easily fix a lot of our problems is just keep two credit cards on file for everyone. And that's just the standard that we do for everybody. So if we're worried about, you know, a more risky arrangement, then 
we take, a, we take your credit card, but we also take a backup credit card. So that, that way my, my financial coordinator isn't calling you going back and forth, back and forth with whether or not we could run that card again. We're just going to go ahead and run the next card. Stu, you got anything? I got a little bit. We use OrthoFi and have for the past six years. And originally I eliminated that financial position. And I think that was a big mistake. Uh, when we bring OrthoFi into practices, we, we don't recommend that now because they still have a role. And I think that role is, is so important in our practices, even if you have a third party that's collecting all the finances. It, this is a hard position for, for me. For 22 years, I've watched how you, know, you have to be a bulldog to get the money, but at the same time, smile real big at the patient and, and bat your eyes and, and tell them you'll do whatever it takes to help them. So it's a challenging position, but uh, I just, we love you. We love you so much. Well, that is your yes. job. Thank you for being the bulldog. Someone has to be the bulldog, right? Okay. You got anything? Not much to add to I that, don't really so, either. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I know nothing about what we do or how we collect money. I actually want to be so, you know, ignorant and removed of it so that I can continue to be nice and friendly. I'm like, oh, you have to pay us to come here? I didn't know that. That's <laughs> shocking. Um, let's, let's end with this. Um, th I think the most frustrating part for an admin team, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, is the fact that in our practices, 90% of our patients want to come between the hours of 8 and 9 and then 3 and 4.30. Um, and you, it just can't work. So considering that that's the case, do you have any creative methods uh, to work around this or to improve there? I mean, for our office, I mean, since this had was starting to get to be a problem with the volume of patients that we see, dental monitoring, um, huge. I mean, we do we're with small doctors, so small doctors anywhere. Um, but that way, we're able to spread the appointments out much further. So instead of uh, regular adjustments being, you know, scheduled, we used to do like six to eight weeks. I mean, we're going, you know, 10, 12 aligner patients. We're going 14, 16, 18, 20 weeks. So because, I mean, they already, we give everything on the front end. We don't hold any of the aligners, and we know that it's set up as long as they're wearing the aligners, and as long as we see that they're tracking through our app, we're good to go. But that has helped to free up a lot, and I, I have not heard of that being a problem recently. I would hear of it a lot more. Yeah, no wonder your no-show rate is so good. Yeah. And you sort of alluded to it. That's great. They don't ever show up, you know, and it's okay. It's by design. Yeah, sure. Stu, Tracy, you guys have anything? Yeah, just a little bit. One thing that we're doing in our practice now, uh, we're making multiple appointments. So we're booking out two and three appointments for people if, if they need certain appointments. And it's, it's a challenge. It always has been. If I had the perfect ideal day, and I, I wish I had the, uh, the ability to do this, and I think we could, but work 7.30 to 3, be done by 3 o'clock. We just haven't got there. And maybe in the future that's something we can all look for. But uh, it's tough with schools today because parents think that their kids are better than others and they, don't, they shouldn't have to have anything but a 4 o'clock. It's tough. They learn that from their parents. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not judging. Yeah. At least they learn something from their parents, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, to your point, I think, number one, it's reducing the number of appointments that you, your body ever has to make it into the practice. So that way, the appointments that are on your schedule are the ones that truly need to happen. Uh, that's number one. Number two, your scheduling templates have to be dialed in and refreshed on a regular basis. Um, and if done well, then yeah, you're going to have the majority of your appointments at the beginning and at the end of the day. Um, but in the middle of the day is where we're going to work on a lot of our, our digital stuff. And that's where our assistants are going to need some quiet time. I mean, how many doctors have come to me asking for like, if only I could have like a study hall hour to work on all my clin checks or look at all my stuff. So we just schedule those in the middle of the day so that that way they're not doing it at home. So the middle of the day for me is quiet time. I like it. It's like when the kids go to nap. It's wonderful. So I like it. Yeah, so I've heard of some people that do like a brunch club where they, you know, discount it for people that agree to come at the terrible times. 3% of the day. off, yeah. Yeah, so um, for our homeschoolers and people that have no responsibilities in life, you know? I do have something to say. Incentivize them, otherwise they're not going to, yeah. I like that. So in our office, I mean, I made, I, I have three young children myself, and I, I, I honestly, I... We have a very busy practice, we, but I have made the intention to stop the day. Our last patient is scheduled at 3.30. So I'm done 
at four o'clock, but then it's never, I don't hear complaints though either. So, but it's like, but moms, I feel like people understand. There's always gonna be the people who don't, but you just have to set your boundaries. And so for me, I mean, we start patients at 8 a.m., we take an hour and a half lunch, we finish by four, my staff is literally at the door by 4.15, 4.30, so, I, but you can do it. Like I mean, honestly, you're kind of making this hard for the doctors who are watching that like no, go like seven did to you seven. Hear the clapping? Like, damn it. There are some no, clapping. I mean, it's but all of us. I mean, but that's the thing. Like, but that, I think that's a different thing about being a woman doctor, right? And having young kids because all of you guys are women. Ninety-nine point nine point nine point nine percent are women and you all have young kids. So my intention is to make it better for my staff so that we can be home. So, like good I, job. I, we don't work Fridays, and we don't work Saturdays, and it's like this is the way it's going to be. And I'm sorry, and it's like, but but it, it works, and I don't have people complain about it. So I mean, like honestly, if I'm able to do that, literally anybody could do that with a schedule. But it's just setting the boundaries. You don't have to work until seven o'clock at night, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's I, not good for anybody. I feel like you're assuming that I disagree, but I totally agree. I mean, I'm like. <laughs> I know I agree. Like I, I don't ever want to work. I mean, this sounds awesome. Uh, I take a two-hour lunch because I have to go home and like I'm so introverted that I have to like turn off all the lights and get under the sheets and just like become. No, I'm dead serious. If if I had sharp fangs, I would think I was a vampire. Um, the skin fits too. So um, okay, so let's move on. Uh, treatment coordinators, where are you at? Pretty weak treatment coordinators. Pretty weak. Um, <laughs> So TCs, you know, are a huge emphasis in the orthodontic space, I think, for a good reason. Um, on some level, you're the one that most controls, you know, the upward uh, trends of a practice or the downward trends of a practice. Um, and that's a tough job. You got to meet eight or nine or ten new people every day and treat them like superstars. That's, it's an exhausting, very difficult job. So I have a great affinity and respect for everyone in the orthodontic team, but uh, treatment coordinator is a tough job. Now, I go into like 20 consults a day, so you know, don't, don't feel too sorry for you. I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's a hard job. So uh, for the breakout sessions that we're doing later today and tomorrow, it's going to be uh, Jill Allen and Michelle, Michelle Shimon. Uh, they're awesome, so you guys are very lucky to have them. Uh, let's get in with the panelists, though. Tracy, we'll start with you, because you do like a TC mastery course. Um, so the best TCs that you've ever worked with or you've trained, what characteristics do they have? And I think in the same way, like what sort of person makes for the perfect TC? Ooh, it's drive. First and foremost, it's like self-motivation, right? Um, it's an emotional job. It's an emotional role, so somebody who can adapt in the moment um, they, they have to be very engaging. So when you're interviewing for a TC, you're looking for somebody who captures your attention right away and can hold the conversation. Um, because that's what they're doing is they're like, you know, they're, they're having new first conversations over and over and over again. Um, now they could be like me who just aren't long-term relationships, but <laughs> short-term relationships, so we got this. So that's fine. <laughs> that's key. I'm so big on putting myself down, so I appreciate other people who do the same thing. So I'm good for about five minutes, and it's all downhill from there. So, uh, yeah. And that's how long I need to be yeah. in the TC room. I'm, I'm on my third husband, my third yeah. husband. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's even leaving. Hold your your answer it. was too long for him even. That's, he just ran out the door. Did you wow, see that? Terrible. He's like, I'm out. It's really unfortunate. Stu, why don't you pick up? <laughs> uh, wow. Now, how do you follow all that? Here's the truth of the matter for me. This is one area in our practice that I feel like that all of us can improve on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And it's tough. It's tough out there, especially when you have people that are, you're the fourth consult that they've had. And then you're the TC and you have to, you have to say to them, oh, you know, this is why we're better or, or have this consultation. And then you have to tell them it's $8,000 for the case and how would you like to get started? I mean, it's, it's so difficult today, but, um, and, and to be truthful, it's just something we constantly are working at and, and we track our conversions, we track and try to meet weekly or, or bi-weekly and, and go through the conversions. But I just, I just want somebody that can look somebody in the eye and tell them what the fee is and smile when there's objections and ask questions. That getting information and understanding, I think is so huge. 
we don't have to all answer either. I think I'm going to start to institute that rule because we have, there are such fantastic answers. We don't all, all have to. So let's jump on. I, I, I sensed that from Amanda, and I was like, yeah, I agree with Amanda. Um, so question two, uh, that was great. Uh, what things could a TC do before the patient even arrives at your office? So, so what should a TC do before the patient arrives at your office? What, what is your list? I mean, for us... I, we have the TC make a phone call the day before, um, just go ahead and introduce themselves. We always make sure that we have all of the information that we need about the patient. So the TC is making sure all of that is done, that we get the referrals in, that we get the dental clearance. I mean, we make sure every single thing is checked off of the list and that the patient is ready to same day start. So that's something that we do uh, just so we can start more cases right away. Yeah, sure. Cool, I, I've asked my TCs to send a video Text the patient a video before, hey, sure looking forward to, to meeting you. This is what we can expect. I'm so excited for you to meet Dr. Dr. Nichols or Dr. Frost. So we, we, I love that. Good stuff. Tracy, coming back to you, question three. Uh, what things should a TC do to set the doctor and team up for success? You mean on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a year? What are you talking about? All the above. Oh, okay. Take it as you wish. Um, sure. So... I mean, the biggest thing is everything's in the prep work. So if any of you guys are my clients, you guys know that I reiterate it's all in like the prep work before the appointment. So as, as, and in specific, I mean your research. So you need to own that new patient's story. You need to know everything you possibly could know about them. Um, you need to go into a sale with strategy and intention. And so the more you can communicate all the things that you've learned to the rest of your team, the better experience that new patient's gonna have. And they're gonna have a, um, you know, the same experience or the same um, level of, wow, everybody knows me here, wow. Like, everyone is meeting my needs. You're meeting my needs, you're meeting my needs, you know. So I think um, doing that on a daily basis is most important. On a monthly basis, they need to be communicating, like, what is the what does the sales department look like? How have we been doing? What could we do better? What do you need from certain people? You know that there's somebody who is not filling out that new patient call sheet all the way, the way that we agreed we would all do it. Um, and having that one-on-one -on -one coaching with that person and being able to do that from the side, not from above or below, but from the side, getting to, with that person and helping coach them to help figure out what they need to help deliver that better. Um, but that takes like, you know, a regular routine, either weekly, bi-weekly, monthly meetings, and yeah. I, I alluded to this in my lecture for what it's worth, and it's not like it's a unique or even profound idea, but it is regularity of meetings and having meetings set up. What meetings allow you to do is to be side to side, because otherwise it does feel like you're like barking down at somebody, and that's never Nobody very well received. Um, and so I think one issue you may have in your office if you feel like, Brenda is not, you know, doing the call sheet correctly because Brenda is not interested in doing the call sheet correctly. She doesn't agree with the call sheet. Maybe Brenda shouldn't be on the team, okay? Um, are there any Brendas here? I'm sorry if I picked your name. I'm sorry, you don't have to raise your hand. The one Brenda's like, oh, how does he know that I don't do my call sheet? This is so weird. Uh, it was just a guess, Brenda. Um, you get into a meeting and you reestablish what the norms are and the standards are, and then if that person continues not to do it, we talked about it two weeks ago, Brenda, then she needs to go work, work elsewhere, I think. So um, let me shift to this. For the two orthodontists here, Stu and Amanda, like I read that, like I don't know your names, Stu and Amanda. Um, what are some things you do in the exam room that help empower the TC? Like, do you have any like magic phrases or things you do, Stu? I think the only thing that I do is I just say, I'll, I'll talk to patients and then I'll say to them, uh, hey, and we're gonna have our quarterback here who is Candace. Candace is, I always try to compliment, Candace is amazing what she does, you're gonna love her, I'll have you talk with her from here. So it's just a positive statement. I wanna acknowledge the TC for what they're doing so that the, the patients see that. You have anything you say? I mean, I do pretty much the same thing, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I, we do a lot of same day starts in our office, and so I never want somebody to feel like they're ever over pushy or salesy, and so I feel like if I say, you know, we can get you started today if you want to. So me saying that versus the TC saying that, like I feel like that just really helps it make that handout because then already they're starting to think about it. So, you know, we can get you started with braces. There's zero pressure, but I just know, and I always, I do use the, the mom analogy. I know you're really busy and your child is out of school right now. We're more than happy to help you if it works for you. If not, it's totally fine too. We can do it a different day. But I set that stage and then the TC is like, it's just ready to go. 
He's like, yes. yes. Yeah, that actually, I, yeah, I'm sure my TC would love it if I'd said that. So that, that was great. Um, you probably have lots of things to say on this, no? I can. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, the way that you set it up is perfect. Um, and Candace is amazing. I'll throw that out there. I know his Candace. Um, yeah, but, but honestly, it, we need the setup, right? And we need the edification um, in front of the patient. But hopefully, if you're doing your new patient process right, like, the TC is their person. Like, this is their person. And now the expert just came into the room and also said, oh, you got the right person as your partner here. And they'll just take it over the goal line. Yeah, I love that. Um, it is sort of like a dance in a way, you know. And so I, I, the gymnastics analogy I keep coming back to, like, you have to all be on the same page as to what the moves are that you're going to do. And it needs to work together in concert. And so it is a team effort. So I, I talk about myself with team members as being a coach very regularly. It's like, you know, if I'm sounding difficult or whatever, it's just so that I can get you to perform at your highest level. That you can do your best job. And, and any good coach is going to do that. Um, there's also a man right there. So you, I just want to say that he was likely offended by what you said. You're one of, you're one of the 0.01%, you know? I'm kidding. All right, last question for TCs. Uh, how do you deal with difficult patients that you don't want to treat? Maybe make this a, a quick answer. What, what do you do strategically? Tracy, do you have... I mean, I don't get to decide. I just sell it. So these are the experts. Okay. Amanda? I mean, for me, I, we, we increase the fee or <laughs> I'm like, okay, like we got to go up. Like this one's crazy. But the, my TCs usually know that before I even, she's like, you don't want to treat this person. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You present whatever you want. Like I'm good with that. But there are definitely conversations that I have with the patient. I, I do not think I can meet your treatment objectives or your needs. So I'm just telling them that. So then, because, you know, sometimes you tell them the higher price and they're like, actually, I'll do it. I've done that in the past before. And I'm like, oh, and then I had That's to tell her after the when you say per fact, arch. Yeah, is per what, arch. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. But yeah, I mean, I feel like the more patients you see, the more you can pick up on that. And then the moment you recognize that, you just need to shut it down and be like, I cannot meet your, your needs. And then just be done with it. I'm, I'm sorry. That's good. Great. <laughs> Stu, you like everybody. You just treat everybody. I like don't everybody. You? And when I say, tell my TC to charge them over $10,000, and then I find out that the patient started, yeah. I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And the other problem is, is that when I say to them, I don't think I can, I, I can help you. I, I just don't think I can help you. Then they start to cry. And then I'm like, okay, I'll help you. So it's, it's such a hard thing. It's got to be tough. Like, if, if Stu can't help somebody, who can, you know? <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's one thing that's great about being, like, you know, slightly above average clinically. It's like, no, I, I probably can't help you. You should go see Stuart Frost. Actually, this is funny. I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if she ever saw you, but I had a patient who came into my office, and she was naming off all these, like, big orthodontists. She was like, and I looked at John Graham, and I looked at David Sarver, and I think she may have mentioned you. And I, and I just told her, I was like, if you've researched these doctors, you don't need to be here. <laughs> I was like, you need to go to Mesa, Arizona. There's an amazing orthodontist. No. Um, okay. Let's shift into, speaking of clinical, let's shift into clinical. Uh, where are my clinical people at? All right. Yeah. You know, I didn't know who was going to be the biggest group, but it's clinical. So how about that? Um, the biggest issues in our clinic, and there, there's a lot, you know, and I'm in the middle of the clinic. So like on all these other topics, I'm like, what do we do financially? No clue. I don't want to know. Clinically, like I know all, I, I eat and breathe this stuff all day long. Um, training new assistants, Ooh. Uh, maintaining consistent execution of our systems, operating efficiently. Uh, there's like a dozen more things. A lot of clinical assistants are the ones that handle the stock and inventory in a practice. Um, we have Nick uh, Wengler from Orthodontic Details. He's going to be here. So the clinical, you get two men. I don't know how that worked out, but you do. It's going to be great. Uh, Nick helps offices across the nation with ordering and inventory, and so he'll be very helpful in that. Um, we deal with hygiene protocol. I hate oral hygiene and dealing with it. It's the worst. Uh, working with multiple doctors, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we also have for the clinical breakouts, we have Dr. Doug Depew. Um, he founded Trapezio. Yeah, why not? Uh, and Trapezio, I think, is like the standard bearer for clinical training. Okay, yes. Do you work with Dr. Depew, perhaps? Okay. Just a wild guess. Um, and so I think the clinical teams, you're, you're in luck. You've got two really, really smart and impressive people, so you're going to enjoy that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about clinical, shall we? Um, what do you look like? Or what do you look like? What do you look for? I don't want to know what you look like. 
Um, but what, what, what do you look for when you're hiring clinical team members? And that can be assistance, that's where my mind goes, but look, we've got lab techs, records techs, sterile. Now with the whole digital stuff, we've got digital lab techs, which is a whole nother thing, but let's maybe focus it in on clinical assistance. What, what do you look for? Tracy, what should we look for? I mean, well, you're, the point of that question or where I go to is like, okay, do you want somebody with experience? Do you not want somebody with experience? Because I can go both ways. That's on question that. number two, but okay. go ahead. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's okay. It was just a joke. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm an RDA to this day. So I look for somebody who um, thinks like I do, who can think like, what is the next step? What is the next step? What is the next step? So that, that way they're always going to be anticipating what is the doctor going to want to do next? And then are they a pot stirrer? Are they what? A pot stirrer. Oh, a pot stirrer. Oh. I don't want a pot stirrer. So. Isn't everybody? It seems like it some days. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. You know who you are, Brenda. <laughs> that's true. Um, but I feel like we deal with it more. Yeah. So, so I have found that. Out and sterile. <laughs> now there's lots of chatter. Sorry. Um, I have found that's a really important thing with clinical. I mean, obviously they need to have like hand skills. I mean, there's some of the things you will say. There's like certain people that maybe just aren't cut out for it. Um, but the ability to do things independently and to not have to ask me every little last thing, I mean, that's suffocating. Some of that's bad leadership and bad training. You know, they don't feel like they have autonomy, but it cuts both ways. Well, and then the, the other part I would say is like, do we have really good mid-level management going on, right? So yeah. do we have really strong um, clinical leads? Maybe we have multiple clinical leads. It depends on how big that, that team is, but... Um, the doctor can't hold all this responsibility on, the, or, and especially with training, on their shoulders. On their shoulders alone, like it really has to be executed hourly and daily from the people um, that yeah. they have on their team. Right on, very good. Let's go ahead and just capture question two, which is: Do you think it's better to hire experienced or someone you train from the ground up? As you guys answer, what you look for with clinical. I mean, so it's it's interesting. The majority I have. My assistants, we have like 17 or 18 assist clinical assistants at this point that we kind of split up between offices, but I want to say almost half of them are previous patients of mine. Hmm. So, which is a lot of people, I tell, I mean, the majority of my staff, even the front staff, they're patients of mine that I got to know while they were in treatment. And I was like, I like their personality. And as soon as they were done, I was like, I'm hiring you. And I just bring them on. So... I mean, I have already vetted them, so I call that my farm team. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I just, you know, I think that's a really great way to do it is like, I mean, because you meet people and you're like, this person would be great and, you know, I want to bring them in. So, I mean, I have a lot, a lot of people that we do that way. Um, regarding experience, so they don't need to have experience and sometimes I prefer them not to. If they don't have experience, we start our, and work our way up. They don't have to be x-ray certified when I first hire them, but we enroll them in an x-ray certification course immediately so then they can kind of get everything going. So again, I, that dental background does not matter to me. It's more of how they interact with the patients and how they make patients feel. So obviously, you have to be a hard worker and willing to learn as well. Sure. But um, yeah, the experience doesn't matter to me. But with her, the, with you, you're they're having your experience. So right. now they're like learning yeah. just from right. your practices experience. So like, who better? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and they're I, already raving fans. Yeah. I, I also realize there's going to be a, you know, a mixture or a mosaic of different types. So don't take any offense to this. And there's no like a right or wrong answer. Um, you know, I used to be all about the no experience for clinical, but I have just run into too many times over and over where someone comes in and it's like a year or two into it, they're like, they just don't love it. And so there's something to say about like the road warrior clinical assistant that like knows that they like it or committed to it as a, as a, a way of living and making a living that I think is helpful, but absolutely it presents issues to have someone who's trained elsewhere. If someone comes on and they say, well, this is how we did it elsewhere. I mean, I want to kick them out the door. I hate that. I don't care how you did it elsewhere, like at all. Sorry, no offense. So don't ever say that. Stu, anything with you in terms of what you look for? And, and I'm going to get into a little more incisive question next, but. I think we're just looking for outgoing people that can actually engage in a conversation and hold a conversation with people. It's not that much to ask. And if you're blonde, you work in our practice. Oh, wow. No, I'm kidding. I'm, no, really, I didn't get enough laughs there. I'm sorry. That was a joke. Uh, but it just seems like when we hire brunettes, they turn into blondes. All great comedy has I'm truth kidding. in it, you know? Yeah. I'm kidding. Lola, you know what I'm talking about, right? Lola knows. She's the blondes in the room don't care. They're like, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. We get it. But uh, the truth of the matter is it, when we have 19 clinicals, 
we, we have to have some experience. So at this point, if we can get somebody with experience, we want to bring them in because there's a lot of uh, young ones. And then the other thing is, is that it seems like when I hire the 18 or 19-year-olds and train them, at about age 21 or 22, if they're married, they start thinking about children. And we just went through a rash of this where, gosh, it went through, it was like, don't drink the water. Because well, we had four that It might pregnant. help if you'd stop hiring Mormons. You know, they like to have children. So This is, this is. Uh, That's also probably why this, they all have blonde okay? hair, you know? Let, let, yeah, well, I'm not even going to touch that. <laughs> uh, look, I will say this. Let me, I think this is so important. About eight years ago, one of my team members came to me and she said, I want to get a nose ring. Is that okay? And I said, absolutely. I prefer not the one that goes right here, the bull, the bull ring. But I've made it a point to hire people that are wearing, that have tattoos, that have nose rings, that are really just real people. And I think that in today's society, we need assistants who, who understand kids and are not afraid to have a tattoo on their arm, are not afraid to, to buzz their hair on one side. I, I celebrate that in my practice. There's not a, there's not a look that I want somebody to be. I want it to have, be well-rounded, I guess I should say. Yeah, man, there's a whole lot more that could be said about this. I think I'm the only one in my office that doesn't have a tattoo, so. Really? I don't have a tattoo, and I love tattoos. It's just if I got a tattoo, it would be like a two-year process of researching and having to go to like a specific artist. Yeah. So it's just like, ah, I'm just not gonna get one. Um, fun fact about me is I love a tattoo reality show called Ink Master. I've seen every episode, yeah. like randomly. I love tattoo art. And I don't have one. Okay, yeah. moving on. <laughs> Isn't that That's very random. Um, all right, so question specifically for Dr. Frost. Are you guys enjoying this? I hope this is good. I hope this is helpful. Okay, all right. In case you're wondering at home, someone at home is eating Cheetos, uh, the puff kind of Cheetos, watching this, and they're enjoying it too. Um, so a, a question for... <laughs> sorry, it's off the rails. Um, a question for Dr. Frost. Uh, you are an internationally recognized uh, speaker, uh, mostly for your clinical work, but also culture and how you run a team and so on and so forth. Um, but I know you have an extremely busy practice. There was traditionally like the clinical like lecture, and there still is. It's like, wow, look at this amazing work and how they've taken the photos. But then you find out, oh, they have two team members. They do everything themselves. They see six patients a day. Well, of course their work is good. But you're like a unicorn in the sense that you see a ton of patients, and I almost like hesitate to even ask, but I know it's a lot. So how do you do that level of work that you do seeing a ton of patients? Because that's rare. Thank you for that. Um, it's tough. When we, we're seeing average of 150 to 160 patients a day. Even if we have two doctors, there's still a lot of people coming through the door. I will tell you that as a, as a practice owner, I, I need to set the vision and the clarity of what I want and what we're doing for outcomes. They all know that I lecture around the world. They all know that their photographs that they're taking are gonna be shown in front of thousands of people. So they're bought in. The other thing that I think is so important, and if your doctors are not doing this, you better get them on board. It's that I invest back in my clinical team. I, we spend 15 minutes a day, we go through cases, we look at what the case is gonna be, I teach them about the different torques we put on the teeth. I have them present the case to all of the clinical members. So we're all in my, my our, Dr. Nichols and I's private office. I got a, there's a we here, so I've got to include Dr. Nichols. But we come in in 15 minutes, we're going through cases. And I'm having you as an assistant present those cases. And then we're talking about it. So can you imagine you're, you work five days a week and you get trained 15 minutes a day on what we're doing? I think that's the way to get people bought in. And, when, and the other thing I tell them all the time, I'm creating a mini orthodontist. I want you to think, look, and act like me. And so I think that's the only way that you can, I can't do it by myself. The only way I can keep creating those beautiful smiles is with your help. Yeah, I, I knew you were gonna give this sort of an answer. Yeah, <laughs> you got applause. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, it was a good answer. <laughs> And it's almost like to think about being a clinical assistant for you would be like a dream, you know? I kind of want to be a clinical assistant <laughs> if it's okay. Can I have an internship or something? Um, but I think I heard this either from you or Jeff Kozlowski, probably both, you guys have run in similar circles, about treating the way you train a clinical assistant as if when you were in residency, you were being trained by the, the orthodontist there. And that was really mind-opening to me because like, oh, mm, that's not exactly how I view it. And we all know orthodontists that clinical assistants are just glorified, you know, color changers, I mean, effectively. And that's really not the way that it should be, okay? So I, I, lo I love that. One of the examples I heard is that 
You should take a week as the orthodontist. It's mostly for the orthodontist watching on the camera, but there's some in here too, uh, where you just try to like basically tie your hands behind your back and see how much you can delegate in that week. And you'll find that you're doing a lot of stuff you don't need to do. I used to like write all the notes. I can type real fast. So I think it was like an indulgent thing. It was like, how fast can I type this note? Um, I love to write. Um, what a dumb thing to spend my time doing. You know, they can do it. They're happier to do it. I think clinical assistants, they love that autonomy. They love being able to, I think that's why you do clinical assisting in orthodontics as opposed to everything else because sucking spit is the worst, but also because you're autonomous. You're on your own. You're, you're like your little mini, it's almost like you got your little chair at the hair salon or something in some ways, you know? Um, yeah, I'll stop talking. Um, Dr. Gallagher, I, who I always call Amanda, but Dr. Gallagher, uh, you have a very big team as well, four associate doctors, four locations at, at the time of this, I think, is it four or five? Four, okay. Um, as well as over 40 team members. I don't know what the number is. What's the number? 46, I was right, okay. Uh, what systems do you put in place to ensure that your clinical work is consistent from office to office, from doctor to doctor, and team member to team member? Yeah, so I take great pride in the quality of work that I do, and I think that in the associate doctors that I hire too, I'm not necessarily hiring for experience, I'm hiring because I want to train them to be a mini version of myself. And so I do spend a lot of time, we do have regular doctor meetings, we review cases, even though I might not be, I mean, I rotate through four offices and some of them, pretty much they're all working out of two each, um, I'm fully available for them all the time just to constantly have feedback. And then ultimately the buck stops with me. So if there is a problem, I get all the problem cases because I know I can get everything back on track if I need to. Um, regarding all of the staff, I do think the regular meetings are, that is so important because, you know, as we were saying, it's important that everybody is on the, uh, on the same playing field um, and make sure we fully understand what's going on. So then you don't feel like you have to bark orders at anybody. Um, so again, just I think the regular meetings, just training people to be mini versions of myself. The same thing, I don't have a 15 minute set aside that I review cases, but every single time I sit in a chair with an assistant, I tell them exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is what's happening. I want to show you, do you see? And like, just to make sure that they're fully involved. Right on. All right. So we're probably like short on time. I know Stu's got to catch a flight. No, no, it was no one's fault. It's I'm the one that did this to us. So um, we're going to move on. We have two categories left. We have any office managers in the room? Yeah. Uh, office managers, they actually expect their team to cheer for them, which is why this sound was so quiet. Of course I'm here. <laughs> um, office managers, God bless them. My, my wife is an office manager, so, you know. Uh, they wear different hats in different offices. I actually had Anna help me with this. So this is Anna's words here. So we'll see what she thinks about herself. Um, some of the hats that office managers wear are team growth and development, hiring and firing, employee evaluations, team meetings and training, benefits administration, and other HR matters. Woo, that's the fun stuff. Um, I also think, and this is Anna's words, sorry to even share that, but I agree, all the fires that come up in a practice and where do we go to? We go to the office manager. They try to come to me and I say, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a problem for Anna. And those are the hard things, whether that's a treatment issue, that's a financial issue, whatever it is. Um, and oftentimes managers, they deal with practice overhead. And then a lot of office managers, you get to do marketing too. So congratulations, you get to do that as well. Um, the breakout sessions are going to be with my wife, Anna, and then Vanessa. Vanessa is very, they're very similar. That's why they're sitting next to each other. Um, they're both married to orthodontists, but they run practices. They help with marketing. They've helped build practices from, from the ground up. So marketing people and uh, managers will be with them today and tomorrow, so it's going to be great. Um, question one, I feel like COVID has made the job of an office manager harder, um, I think. And we'll see if you agree. And let's take on the, we're just going to do one answer per question moving forward. Uh, COVID and post-COVID. Post-COVID is its own unique, terrible thing. Um, how has that impacted the role of office manager in your office? Are you seeing this, Tracy? I feel like this is a good, like, 30,000 foot view question for you. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the office managers. This is the worst job, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I said <Whoops>. it. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's a really tough one. Um, but I think as far as COVID goes, it's you have to understand all of the regulations that, you know, that have that we've all learned together from, and then all of the HR. But the, I do want to add that the the one description you didn't have on the list was the therapist, because the managers are the True. therapy sessions. <laughs> 
No, seriously, that you're the water cooler of the practice on some level. Yeah. All day long. Yeah, no doubt. Um, has COVID, post-COVID, and let's just say maybe just like the last few years, whether it's because of COVID or not, I, I think it turned a lot of people crazy. I mean, just in fairness. Um, has it changed your hiring process, your HR load? Um, do you feel like it's affected personal responsibility on some level? Like, does any of that resonate with you, Stu? Not, not much. It's okay, like, good for you. Stu, Stu's just running this dream practice. He's on a cloud. Oh. This is great. Amanda, does any of that I resonate mean, with you? Well, I mean, I think with COVID, I mean, the problem is like we're always running short. And so it's, again, just trying to keep the team motivated. And because you're always feeling like we're, it's like we're overstaffed, but we're always understaffed. And so it's like, okay, we just got to get through this. The next thing you get through it, and then somebody else is out, whether it's doctors or assistants. So, I mean, that's what's been a strain. I feel like for all of us, we've all been working our freaking butts off, you know, and like with yeah. no break, you know, every single person on the office. Yeah, they talk about like, um, you know, supplies being in shortage or supply chain issues. That's like the, you know, the magic word. I, I feel like I'm emotionally having a supply chain issue sometimes. Uh, someone brought up this idea of compassion fatigue. And I was like right in the middle of that last week. I just, I have compassion fatigue towards people that just seem to need more and more and more of me, um, whether that's team or that's patients since just upset people. So maybe I was just having a moment, but I, I feel like this is all linked. Um, well, here's I th a, oh, oh, sorry. I just want to throw on there that the office managers, because of all these things, like they really need to be focusing on self-care. Yeah. They really need like recharge time in order so that they can have some of that bandwidth. And they need the support of their team members. Like, and, and I'm sure you all are perfect and you do that and you support them. And let's be honest, not every office manager is perfect either. But I, I think it is good to accept that they have a difficult job and to go easy on them. And if you have some, you know, juicy piece of gossip, maybe keep it to yourself. Um, unless it's really juicy, and then, and then share it. But, you know, the, one of the rules in my practice, and of course it's not followed, but it's a rule, we've talked about it, is if what you're going to share about another coworker, uh, it's not going to help anything, or you don't have a solution for it, you really should keep that to yourself. And I think that's super important, that all of us collectively, we're talking about our, you know, individual, you know, types, but as a team together, if we're ever going to do anything perfectly, we all have to be on that same page of accepting that we're all different, we all have different jobs to do, and that whether we agree with that person exactly, whether Brenda filled the thing out or not, like we're all on the same team and we're in this together, that would go a long way. Um, and I feel like I saw a lot of that slip maybe post-COVID on some level. Uh, question two, I just want one person, so raise your hand if you feel good about this. What are some things we can do to help with the hiring, onboarding, and perhaps most significantly, retention of good employees? I'll go. We took a course on hire to fit. And basically this course taught me and my wife how to establish core values in our practice, how to, to hire people according to what our core values are. Uh, and then when you hire people, you hire them through like a gauntlet. We make them fill out, do a book report. We make them come in and, and uh, you know, engage. We see, have the team see them. So we're really intentional about you know, making sure that we've vetted people out so that, that they're really going to be on board and stay long-term. It's hard. It's hard because, you know, I think the days of an assistant or a team member being 25 years in your practice, I think those are gone. And it's, and it's hard because there's a, so much turnover. But I think when they buy into our core values and we make sure we hire to fit our core values, I think that, that we have good long-term employees. Right on. All right, final question on office managers. I, you know, I think... Depending on the size and scale of your practice, it may not be that you have an office manager. You may have like a practice administrator, and then some practices have like a CEO. And I mean, it gets complicated. And so, a uh, question to you, I'm just going to ask you, Amanda, is um, most offices do have office manager, practice administrator, whatever you want to call it. But there's other levels of management. I think when you get to a level of having 46 employees, I'm guessing you have coordinators who are also sort of like mini managers. Like, how does the hierarchy work in your practice? You don't. I don't think you want to know. <laughs> It's, uh, no, well. I think we grew so fast. Um, I am, I mean, I do a lot and so does Ben. And Ben actually, now that we're part of Smile Doctors too, I mean, he's took on a regional manager position. So he's not only overseeing our four offices, he's overseeing another 17 offices on top of that. So we, I mean, we do have an office manager, but ultimately when it comes down to it, like we're still... That's we're unbelievable. All the decisions. I know. It's, I mean, it's not the right way to go. But no, it works I mean, for us. I, how could you so, argue? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Tracy, do you have any thoughts on that? 
on different levels of kind of management and mid mid level management and so on. Yeah, I I, I think it's a must now um, because with HR being what it is and with turnover being what it is, we've got to have those core leader that leadership um, happening and having them the master of you know a, a pod of people and and it be department based. Um, and then that mid-level management needs to have regular meetings together to make sure that everybody is operating, um, you know, in the best way possible. Yeah, I mean, I did not mean to put you on the spot. I mean, obviously, there are different ways to do this. And, of course, there's different practice, you know, styles and stuff. So, so Anna is our practice administrator de facto, you know, office manager. But we have, I found it helpful to have a clinical coordinator and an admin coordinator. And that helps. And they all kind of work together. It's almost like in Game of Thrones, they have, like, their table of, you know, the, the people. I can't think of what it's called. Anyone know what that's called? Oh, wow. No Game of Thrones fans. Um, you know, what's that? Small Council. Thank you, Andy Sarpadar, for being in the room, because of course he would know that. It was coming to me, but thank you for having it sooner. It's like your small council, and those are the people that, you know, you need the variation of perspectives to be able to manage a practice efficiently. Last category, and you know, you know who's left, it's our marketing coordinators. Where are you? Okay. Yeah. Everyone's gotten tired. They're ready for lunch, I can tell. So all the people with the pink hair, there's my marketers. Um, so let's just jump in real quickly. Um, and one or two can pick this. How do you handle marketing in your offices? Is it a shared responsibility? Or do you have a dedicated team member? I mean, okay, so again, too, I mean, I, I, do, the, I do all of our marketing for our office. <laughs> but, um, but I think what is important is that to be effective on social media, I feel like authenticity is incredibly important. And so for me, it's about being authentic and people connecting with or understanding me. And then they know me even before they walk into the practice. And I have thought about having other people do it. But again, the, the people I like to follow are the ones that I see coming directly from them. So for me, it's about coming from that place of authenticity. I know not all doctors. Uh, can do that. So, but again, if if you are responsible for that, if you can find a way to be more authentic than posting just you know kind of random stuff, like really try to work to engage patients, and so they learn more about you and the vibe of the practice and the culture of the practice. I think that's super important. A hundred percent. Yeah. Nobody wants to see braces on, braces off, braces on, braces off on your feed. Um, but uh, like for both of you guys, especially, well, and I'm sorry, you, you too, um, but, but uh, digital marketing is huge now. Like that is where the majority of our budgets need to go. But the answer to your question, I think one person needs to be, needs to be ultimately responsible for marketing, there, but then there needs to be a committee that works with that one person. Um, so that way we can make sure that everything does get executed. And then, um, as far as, where we're, where we're focusing on. We need to focus a ton on outsourcing and working with great companies to um, have our online presence be a huge aspect of it. And then um, the committee helps with execution on all of the referral programs and such. Yeah, no, I love that. So I have a question about digital marketing. I'm just gonna answer that one. I feel like I, I can answer yeah. the digital marketing question. <laughs> um, you know, you're gonna be in a different spot, but what I would just say is that increasingly, obviously, you know, people are looking for an orthodontist, orthodontic services by searching online. Uh, they're crowdsourcing opinions in Facebook groups. They're you know consulting Google reviews. Like we all know this. It's like extremely, extremely important. Um, if when you search, uh, you know, twelve different basic like orthodontic braces, Invisalign aligners type questions, if you're not showing up on the first page organically, you're in trouble. If you're not also showing up in the Google ad first two or three positions, if you're running out of your budget by 10 a.m. in the morning, you are, you are, you're missing it. So like, those are like pretty simple things, but if you don't have someone to help you with that, you're probably not going to do it well. And you know, all these things are changing at the same time. They pretty much stay the same. Make sure your website looks good and it functions well, that you show up towards the top organically at search engine optimization, that you run enough ads and your budget is correct for the demand in your market. And then after that, social media is great. I mean, it helps to tell your story. It helps to pre-prepare people to know you and to trust you so you can make the sale. Like, that's all important. Um, and if you're not doing it in a systematic way, you're, you're pretty much screwed because it, it's really how everything's moving. So that's part one of marketing. That would be digital. Part two and part three, and then we'll wrap. Part two is grassroots marketing, which I think is still, like, super important. 20 years ago, that's all we had, you know? Um, referral marketing, internal marketing, community involvement. Talk to me just just kind of like rattle off some good ideas or things that have worked for you. I think uh, events, events are huge and doing events with the referring dentists, like 
um, you know, those that go to happy hour together stay together. So out those kind of events. I love happy hour. Stu, big happy hour guy? Yeah, uh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, event parties. And, and one thing about the parties is that we involve the community and we involve um, other dentists as well. But to do them regularly, COVID threw a wrench in it because we had to take time off. But, but making sure patients and parents and relatives can count on that party uh, a certain time of year. I think that's really big. Right on. What do you got? I mean, for us, I mean, we do a lot of uh, supportive local sports. I mean, my husband and I were both student athletes, you know, growing up. So we literally support every single athletic team and sponsorships and but being involved in it and being present. It's not just like giving money. It's like, let me have the whole wall as my banner support, you know, do your events, have a tent mass emails, everything is on there. And then also like referral events um, for us, instead of giving referral gift baskets for Christmas, I started doing like a referral event where they would come and I would do like Stella and Dot or, you know, something like that, like when Stella and Dot was still around. Um, <laughs> but like I did, got a plant bus last year, which was super fun. Like I had like, there was like a school bus. I brought all these plants in and we did like kind of like s'mores and all this stuff. It was a lot of fun, but kind of like bringing everybody together. I think it is really important to have that FaceTime because we don't have a whole lot of time to get out to the offices and see everybody face to face. So just to bring assistance together, I think that's super huge. Yeah, I think the big point of marketing is to improve relationships yeah. because a sale is predicated on them knowing you on some level and trusting you. Um, social media is a great way for them to get to know you and to feel like they have a relationship with you and thereby trust you. That will increase your likelihood of making a sale so much more. Um, it's also helpful for your dental referrals. It's helpful for potential employees. You know, I, I have no doubt that people come in your office wanting to work for you because of your social media presence. It's a big deal. So last question about marketing. Um, what can we outsource and what do we need to do ourselves? Let, let's start with what should we be doing ourselves from a marketing standpoint? Tracy does a marketing mastery course. I, I'm looking to you, Tracy. I mean, Sage does a lot of that. But um, okay. no, um, I think what we have to do is we have to manage those that we outsource to, okay, first and foremost, making sure that our messaging, our unique practice culture is coming out in all of our channels so that that way it's the same. Um, we have to have that consistency. Um, and then I think that we have to work those one-on-one -on -one relationships or have deputized someone. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's, that's super mom. Like you could totally hire the super mom um, from the practice to be the one that's out working those relationships. But it's all about making sure that your messaging is consistent in all of those. So you okay. have to do that. Wasn't this awesome? Wasn't it great? Thank you, everyone. Um, so we've got like three minutes and then you'll get to go eat. There'll still be food left, I promise. Um, there's a lot more that we could say. I do want to kind of get this as like my editorial at the end in some ways. Um, the perfect orthodontic team. I, I mean, it's sort of a joke title in the sense that we are all perfectly imperfect. Okay, no team member is perfect. Um, no team is perfect. No doctor is perfect. Can I get an amen? Um, but if we all commit to regularly evaluating our individual strengths and weaknesses and accepting our unique set of circumstances as a practice, then I do believe that we can find what perfect means for us as a team. And then we have to aim for it every day. Every day is a new day and is a new opportunity to get better at what we do and to enjoy work together more than we did the day before. Um, an essential character or point of that is, is that we have to trust each other. We kind of got around to this loyalty, trust, um, to the orthodontists who are watching and the few that are in the room, your team must trust that you will lead them appropriately, treat them fairly, and keep up your end of the bargain that you committed to when you hired them. Uh, for the team members who are here, the doctor must trust that you'll continue to be the amazing person that they met during your job interview, that you'll show up each day ready to be your best, and that you'll do everything you can to represent your practice well. So that's trust, and I think that's really the biggest key to um, being a perfect orthodontic team and practice. Again, thank you to the live studio audience. You were incredible. Um, thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> yes. We have a small baby in the back of the room, too. This is great. Oh, that must be yours, Tracy. Um, I also want to thank our sponsor for today's event and for the staff breakout. That's Neon Canvas. Uh, we're a digital marketing agency. We love to help grow your practice. We're in 43 states. Check us out, neoncanvas.com. If you're watching this uh, TDO Live on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. Give us a five-star review if you so choose. Don't give us a one-star review. Um, if you're not in my Facebook group, The Digital Orthodontist, you should join. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Amanda Gallagher, Dr. Stuart Frost, Tracy Martin. They were fantastic. Um, 
how can they get in contact with you? What do you have coming up real quickly? Tracy? I'm speaking at 345. You're speaking at 345. Today. Wonderful. Stu? Ooh, I'm leaving in five minutes to the airport. Yeah. Uh, but you can reach me at, uh, at Frost Smiles Instagram if you okay. want to reach out or at Dr. Stuart Frost. I'll be at the relapse party tonight. <laughs> awesome. Me too. Uh, so, and then uh, at uh, AG Ortho is my Instagram. So feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm pretty good at responding that way. Not just saying this because they're sitting next to me, but by far two of the best people on social media. If you're not following them, they're fantastic. Um, lastly, I'd like to thank my team at Neon Canvas, Alan, Scott, Tom, and Alex. And a huge thank you to my wife, Anna, who's sitting right down there. She's always very, very helpful to making these possible. She helped write some of this because, like, what did I know about some of this? Um, but I love you. Thank you so much. Um, and to the team at MOPC 2022, you guys are awesome. And to all of you, thank you again. And from all of us here at the Digital Orthodontist Live, I'm Dr. Kyle Fagla, signing off. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Go enjoy lunch.